Thank you so much for joining us to listen to this chat that we're having today with Carl Hopwood. It's going to very much focus on online issues and the sorts of things that parents should know and how you can really engage uh, your children at home with these sorts of issues as well. Just going to introduce myself. My name is Delith Lynch and I'm the Director of Safeguarding at Wellington College. Um, my name's Steph Ayres. I'm the Safeguarding Manager at Wellington College. And I'm going to introduce our guest this afternoon, Carl Hopwood. Carl, would you like to say a few words about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Really good to be able to speak to you all. Um, so Carl Hopwood, my background was in teaching, actually. I was a primary school teacher and then a head teacher for a number of years. But for the last... I think it's about 16 years now. My job is an online safety consultant, whatever that means. Basically, I go into schools um, all over the country talking to pupils, parents, teachers, governors about online safety. Um, I work alongside colleagues in, in the police. I sit on various government advisory bodies. So, so my entire life now, uh, my working life at least, is just focused around uh, online safety. Great. And I think actually it's worth saying here, Carl, I think you're very unique in this world in that you've come from an educational background. And I think that gives you a really helpful insight into what teachers and what parents need to know. And, and I've seen you talk on several occasions um, and you've been to Wellington as well in the past. And I think you've got a brilliant way of engaging not only parents, but also the young people with what you have to say as well. Um, so I think we're we're really, really grateful for you joining us today. Um, and I think Steph and I are really looking forward to um, to talking to you. Um, I'm going to kick off with a, with a question. This is a biggie, I think. See how okay. you get on with this one. Um, Carl, what do you think the issues are that our young people and, you know, Wellington College aged 13 to 18 school, what sort of issues are do you think that they're facing online at the moment? Well, that is a big one to start off with. Um, so I think I think there's a number of things that I would sort of highlight. I think the first one probably, and I think this is possibly one that parents have concerns around, it, it's how much time they spend online. And I think it's it's a little bit perhaps artificial to talk about the online world and the offline world. It's just their world. And actually, a lot of it is very, very connected. Um, and I think, you know, there's some huge benefits to be gained um, by spending time on social media platforms, you know, consuming content and, and, and so on. But I think a lot of the media coverage that we tend to see as parents focuses on all of the extreme things that actually aren't likely to happen to most children, perhaps. Um, and I think, you know, that balance is is really critical. So some time spent online is is important. It's crucial. I think, you know, we're preparing children for life and life is in a connected world now. But I think trying to sort of compete against, you know, the, the algorithms on a social media platform, which are designed to keep you there for as long as possible. I, I think that that is a challenge in itself. I think the fact that we have apps now um, that will, you know, it's probably not a very nice thing to talk about straight away, but, you know, deep nuding apps where, you know, you can feed in photographs of a friend or somebody that you've seen online uh, and the app will remove the clothing and it's hyper realistic. Um, you know, th th this is this is a problem and it's far too easily available. Um, I think, you know, young people and adults as well behaving online in a way that they wouldn't behave in a face-to-face -face situation, that lack of empathy, the fact that, you know, they can't see the person that they're sending these pretty blunt, perhaps brutal sometimes messages to. Um, I think there's an awful lot of challenges and I think it's about constantly trying to reinforce the way that we should be behaving uh, mm. when we are using these spaces, really. And, 
you know, you read an awful lot about the amount of time young people should be spending, uh, you know, screen time and online. From your knowledge and research that, that you've read, do you think there is an optimum length of time that parents should be advising their children to spend online or on social media? Well, it's, it's a really good question. I, I think for quite a long time, the experts, you know, specifically on, on screens have been saying screen time is actually the wrong metric. You know, what we need to be thinking about is screen use. We need to think about the quality of the interactions that people are having when they're online, you know, give them a balance of um, different things that they can do. But I mean, in answer to that question really specifically, I mean, th th there was a piece of research that was done a couple of years ago now by the Royal College of Psychiatrists. And they actually said, you know, if you're under one, there shouldn't be any screens at all. If you're under five, there shouldn't be any more than an hour a day. But beyond five, um, they didn't put a specific a specific time limit on it. That they did say things like meal times should be tech free. They said things like you know phones shouldn't be in the bedroom overnight. Um, but I think really importantly, they they said to parents what you need to do um, is actually make time available to listen to your children, to you know encourage them to come and talk to you if there's things that are happening on screens that are bothering them. Um, so I think for me, you know, it, it's a bit artificial and probably not that helpful um, if we say when you're 13 this is the optimum amount of time that you spend because they're, they're doing so many different things online now including watching television um, you know listening yeah. to music it's, it, it's yeah. so, so complex yeah yes actually you raised something really interesting there you know, throw a little window into the Lynch household here by saying this that uh, parents have got a real responsibility to role model that behavior as well haven't they and if you are having a meal with your children, then it's actually really important that that we as the adults, we put away our tech as well and we boundary those times too. Absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. It's not going to work if, you know, I put this rule in place and then suddenly the phone vibrates and I'm having a sneaky look because, you know, they will then pick up my bad habits and we have to model the right behaviour. Um, yeah. You know, adults across, you know, any adult I think who has influence across children I'm sure that this would never happen at Wellington but you know in, in some schools where I go um, you know that there will be a policy that says you know nobody should be walking around the campus with a device in their hand and you see members of staff doing it so you know again the policy needs to reflect what actually is happening in the school so yeah uh, no I totally agree with that it's um it's it's really interesting, isn't it? And I think that one thing that you mentioned there, I just want to pick up on because not all of our parents might know what you meant when you said that they're competing against the algorithms in certain apps. Could you just explain what an algorithm is and how they um, really do bring in young people and get them to stay there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's not a secret that, that the social media companies, you know, whether it be YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, they're using recommendation systems, perhaps is a, is a better way to sort of talk about it. But they're using technology, basically, to, to look in great detail at what any user is actually looking at, you know, the, the things that they comment on, the things that they watch more than once, the videos that they move past straight away, the influences that they like, that they keep going back to. Um, and then the recommendation systems will actually give us more of the same so, so what I often say to to young people is you know if you start watching videos of cats doing tricks on skateboards you will be given more videos of cats doing tricks on skateboards um, and and I think an obvious sort of you know example of this is YouTube's 
autoplay um so you know you you can actually turn it off now which is a good thing and it's turned off by default if you know that they think you're under 18 but you watch a video it finishes and then the next one starts automatically without you doing anything um and normally it is something that you're vaguely interested in but the point is you didn't go there to watch that second or that third or that fourth video and the the stat which i find quite astonishing is that you know 70 percent of all videos watched on youtube are recommendations from youtube and so i think in terms of influence in terms of young people you know sort of really not necessarily having agency over what they are consuming um i think there's some real challenges there and i think when you think about some of the content um some of the influences that they do follow it's very easy because the way you're bombarded with similar content you you can very easily think well this is what everybody thinks isn't it high nine I know people at school are telling me that I shouldn't be interested in paying attention to this, but everybody else seems to think that it's absolutely fine. Um, so we do have to be careful. I think they have to have a balance of opinions. I think they need to seek out people who have you know, other opinions as well at times. That is such an interesting point, Carl, and one which I don't think many people would have ever thought about before, that if you are watching things or even researching things for like a school project in a certain vein, then they could well be just receiving that one form of information um, and uh, you know the onus of responsibility there is on us as the educationalists to make sure that they learn how to be discerning and and learn how to get a balanced viewpoint on on information but that is so hard as you say when you are battling against these um, algorithms that are telling you to do something completely different. Absolutely. And and I think just to be really up to date, uh, Delith, I think you, you may have seen yesterday um, that the Molly Rose Foundation, which was set up in memory of Molly Russell, who sadly you know took her own life back in 2017. She, she was a 14 year old girl. The coroner's report that came out last year said social media content had contributed more than minimally to her death. OK. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in 2017, some of the tech companies, it was Instagram and Pinterest mainly sort of said, yes, we use recommendation systems, but they should not have been recommending content around self-harm, suicide and depression. The report that came out yesterday, which I haven't had a lot of time to digest because it's 80 odd pages, um, said there hasn't been any change. You know, they are still providing access to this type of content and indeed recommending it, um, which is just dreadful. You know, that this isn't OK. Um, it shouldn't have happened at the time, but it shouldn't be happening six years later when we've learned some of these lessons. So the tech companies need to do more. I, I totally get that they want to maximise the amount of time that people spend on their platform because that's what makes money. Yeah. But not at the expense of children and young people and their mental health and well-being. It's not OK. And in your opinion, Carl, do you think the online safety bill will do much to um, help this? How long have we got? I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think the online safety bill is going to make a difference. I, I think there are other things that will make a difference probably more quickly, such as the Digital Services Act. That's um, a European Commission sort of piece of legislation, which is already kicking in. But I, I think I think it will. Um, and I think, you know, it was interesting in the news coverage yesterday that the tech companies in response to that report that I've just mentioned said, you know, we're putting so many things in place for our younger users. I think I saw a figure that said there's 33 different privacy sort of safeguards in place for younger users well that's great and i think that's true there are things in place but that's only effective 
if the platform knows that I'm 15. You know, if when I set up my account in year six, but before I was supposed to, I lied about my age, which I had to because you're meant to be 13. And I said that I was 39 because it was my parents' date of birth or something like that. None of these 33 safeguards are necessarily going to be kicking in for me because they think I'm an adult. Um, so that's yeah. the big flaw in the plan. And I think until we can crack the age verification you know, um, conundrum, it, it's going to be very, very difficult. Gosh, it is. And it, it's, it goes down again, doesn't it? You mentioned there about people sending, um, you know, really hurtful comments because you're you're not a face, if you like, that's, you know, you're not engaging with it as, as that connectivity human to human. Um, you know, I liken it to if you get if you're 13, you're, you go and buy some alcohol in a supermarket. They can see that you're you're not 18 and they ask you for your ID. But when you're online, that that's made so much more difficult. No, absolutely. And I, and I think what's slightly frustrating is we have the tech. I mean, this will be a bit controversial, perhaps, but we have the technology to do the age verification. But I think in the UK, we're, we're quite concerned about the privacy and data protection aspects of that, which which I totally accept is a genuine concern. And we need to think about it. But because my background's in teaching, um, safeguarding should trump everything else um, in my point of view. But, yeah, you have to be careful who you say that to. <laughs> but we've got we've got the tech. We can do it. It's being done in certain parts of the states and things like that. So we know yeah. it works. Gosh, interesting area. Steph, mm. would you like to fire away? Yeah, absolutely. This is fascinating. So sometimes for us in schools, it can be really hard to engage parents on online safety. What do you think the reasons are for parents not seemingly want to get involved with that kind of element with us? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think one is because of what I mentioned earlier that, that a lot of the media coverage is really extreme, and I think parents think, well, you know, the, that, that, that's not going to happen to my children. You know, we, we look after them, we keep them safe, we send them to an amazing school uh, like, like yours. Um, and I think it's it's a very dangerous route to go down because you know as well as I do that you know this is affecting any child in any school in any part of the world pretty much. Um, but I also think that um, parents are busy. I, I think, you know, that, that they perhaps think that they've you know, put some protection on, you know, their broadband at home on their child's device. You know, in some cases, one of the things I always say to parents is you can be the world expert at filtering and monitoring. But when they're at somebody else's house, you cannot assume that that is being done because, you know, we know around 50 percent of parents don't do anything to protect devices. And I think the other thing that perhaps we. I include myself in this, perhaps we get a little bit wrong, is, you know, when I talk to parents, I share national statistics with them, the Ofcom stats, uh, and they're often very interested and sometimes a bit horrified by those. But again, I think they think, mm, well, th that, that wouldn't happen at Wellington. You know, that, that's not the sort of thing that would be going on there. And I sometimes think if we could provide local data, you know, if, if we surveyed our own pupils anonymously um, and said, you know, in our year 10 group, this percentage of pupils have seen worrying or harmful content, that might focus parents in. I mean, the, the danger for you as a as a school is that they say, well, crikey, well, we'll go somewhere else where, where of course, it'll be exactly the same. Um, but, but I think that that's part of the reason they don't think that it's, it's relevant to them be, because the media coverage is so extreme. That's really interesting. I mean, is there anything you've seen that has been a really successful parental engagement strategy in schools that you've worked with? Uh, so it's an interesting question. And, and I mean, I, I work in so many different schools that, that there's a school I work at in, in Wiltshire who for a number of years 
um, this is a little bit left field, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, they managed to f- get pretty much every parent in the school to come along because they they raffle. Um, they, they, it's been an iPad. It's been a, a computer. It's been a digital camera back in the day when we had digital cameras. Uh, and basically every parent who comes is given a raffle ticket and somebody leaves with a, a really quite you know worthwhile piece of kit. And, and afterwards, every time I've done the session, parents have said, I didn't really come to listen to you. I came to win an iPad, but actually it was quite helpful. And and I'm happy to take that. You know, I think once you can get them in, I think they do see the value in it. And I think a couple of other slightly more um, ordinary approaches is, is schools will try and perhaps, you know, talk to parents when they're already there. You know, they're there for an exam at weekend or that, you know, that they're coming to sort of see their, you know, children's teachers and so on. Um, I think trying to sort of do it at a time that works for them. So, you know, I think the podcast that you're doing here is a brilliant idea. Um, it's very easy for people to access and, and people are busy. So I think making it as easy as possible for them to sort of engage is is really important. That's great. Thank you. So I'm hearing about incentives there and um, it's definitely an incentive because it came after the event, I guess, the raffle, but uh, rather than a bribe. Uh, yes, but, yeah. definitely an incentive. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, I, I mean, I think it, it is just about trying to sort of meet them halfway, really. I mean, I, I always say to people, it's all right for me because online safety is all I do. Um, mm. But but I know that as, as I'm a parent myself, I've got three children and I think, you know, it, it's always busy. You know, it's difficult to find the time sometimes. And, and I think you have to prioritise a bit. I think you're right, Kyle. I mean, both Steph and I um, have got children as well. And I think that mm-hmm. there's also, I mean, you'd be thinking as well that Steph and I have got this absolutely nailed and, um, you know, this we, our, our online safety at home is the best thing it can possibly be. And I think from my perspective, I had a bit of a wake up call recently. Um, my daughter loves coding um, and has a little uh, coding program that she uses and she's allowed to use once a week on a Sunday. And one Sunday she came to me and she told me all about this amazing new toy that she wanted and I was quite intrigued to know where she'd found out this information and it had been a pop-up ad on her on the um, computer program that she'd um, been using and I suppose at that point I then thought oh gosh I really do need to pay a little bit more attention to this Um, and I think you know, given the amount of time that our teenagers are spending online, I think we do all have to be aware that they're going to be receiving the ads. Um, they're going to be knowing about stuff that we as parents probably aren't going to know about. Um, and it is incredibly hard. And I wonder if some parents also just take the perspective that they're never going to know everything and therefore why bother at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, you know, I'm sort of attacking the media a bit here, but the media don't help with that because they're constantly telling parents that they're the digital immigrants and, you know, children are the digital natives and there's this big gulf between them. Um, And that isn't always the case. You know, I I think it is hard for parents because, you know, a a lot of us didn't grow up with this technology. So it is something that our children possibly, you know, have adopted more quickly than we have. Um, But, yeah, I, I think you know it's it's about the conversation isn't it it's about sort of trying to take an interest i think when children are young you know we have a slide that i sometimes use and it shows a family kind of playing a board game together which i think families still do but then when it comes to online activities well if, if they're doing that i can get on with the things that i need to do and they're quiet and it keeps them happy and so on but i think you know it's not natural to do that i think we should be taking an interest 
So, Carl, would you be saying that actually it is quite healthy for mum and dad to sit down with children and play Xbox um, together because you're actually doing a shared activity, but in their world? Absolutely. Yeah, because we we would take an interest in every other aspect of their life, I think, pretty much. You know, we, we take, take them to football or hockey or whatever it is. We spend hours freezing at the side of the pitch and doing all those things. Um, you know, why why would this be different? And I think it can be a bit controversial here again but i think you know possibly it's different because actually it gives me time and i we always need time we always can do with an extra 15 minutes in the day so oh, they're on the xbox again brilliant i can carry on with what i need to do yeah i wonder i wonder as well is if if families do start to take an interest in something like that um whether the interest would slightly wane for the young person um or whether it wouldn't whether they i wonder how many young people are actually retreating into that area of life as a, as a means to get away from their parents sometimes i've got no doubt that that is possibly the case in some situations but i think i think that's about a wider question about relationships and family life and the, the kind of culture that you create um, yeah. and, and i think you have to be careful as well i think i think they need some time where they can just go off and do their own thing um but i still think especially when they're younger if, if you can start sort of doing things together then you know it won't seem quite as alien when at the age of 14 we're suddenly saying oh move over let me have a go in whatever game it is that they're playing because that, that that's harder yeah gosh well there we you've certainly set me a, a target for, for me to do this weekend so what Steph you've got two boys what are they interested in anything online anything that you could get involved in oh absolutely and actually um I was going to give you a little window into the heir's household there so my youngest is seven and very much is in that Roblox stage and he adores sitting with us and actually more about teaching mum and dad what to do on the app um, or not the app, the Xbox game. See, I'm not particularly down with the kids with this one. Um, but I think there's definitely room. I think it's di more difficult with my eldest because you kind of go down that hole. Is that his escape from mum and dad? And because he is that bit older and he's in that teenage zone, um, he's less receptive to teaching us how to do the gaming. But it's definitely something we can work on as a family. Yeah, it's um, certainly given me some ideas. It's actually made me think about my own childhood, actually, Carl. So I now am having vivid memories of my... Um, BBC Acorn Electron. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and playing Pac-Man on a Sunday afternoon with my dad, um, you know, after, you'd, after it had taken half an hour for it to upload from a tape, if I remember rightly, with that dreadful noise in the background. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting um, piece of advice there, um, Carl. On the other side of things, what do you think parents should be doing as the bare minimum to make sure that they have got safeguards in place um, in their own home? I mean, it, it it depends on a lot of different factors, doesn't it? I think the, the age of the child and so on. I think the relationship that you have with them, I, I, I think that there's there's some technical things that we would want to do you know even if you've got an 18 year old would you really want them accessing pornography or on you know a device that's connected to your broadband probably not so you know we can do technical things to limit the access to what we might 
you know deem harmful content on the broadband i think when they're younger i think you'd want to do that on their their personal devices as well again just just to stop them from being able to access you know content that we know can be potentially harmful i think what i would also say though is filtering um is never going to be perfect you know because of the dynamic way that you know the the content's created i think you know the the, the public parts of popular platforms like TikTok and Instagram, you know, there's a certain amount that we can do in terms of monitoring what's being accessed and restricting access. But when it's in the direct messages, when it's in the big group chats, you haven't really got any control over that, which is why for, for me, in terms of answering your question, Delith, what parents need to do is have conversations with their children um, so, so that, you know, when something does go wrong, when they are a bit worried because some random individual sent them an inappropriate image, they'll feel that they can come and speak to their parents about it. Um, because I think the problem is that if if they think they're going to get a disproportionate response, if they think their parents are going to overreact and, and even even provide them with a consequence that they, as the child believes, is unfair. You know, so, so I've done nothing wrong. Somebody's behaved inappropriately towards me. I come and tell you about it and you say, right, you can't use that game any longer, right, you can't use that Instagram any longer, purely to try and safeguard them. I get it from a parent's point of view, but children won't come back the next time if they think you've been unfair about it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that's different from, you know, I think if children have messed up a little bit and made a bad decision, they would expect a consequence. But but I think parents often overreact in an effort to try and protect them. And, and that's not helpful in my view. You know, Steph and I actually have been speaking to the students over the last couple of weeks about how our area, our offices and our roles are, are a safe space for them. And we actually talked this morning, Steph, didn't we, about that we just don't victim blame. Um, we're there to listen and support. Um, and very, particularly with online issues, I think, Carl, and the sharing of nudes, it's really important that we just take that proportionate response. And as you say, it's so important for parents to think, right, how is my response going to affect what's going to happen next time? That's it. That, that is the key bit for me, um, because I think some of these things are really difficult. And, and I think also some of them are very different from the things that might have happened when I was a teenager. Um, you, you know, you, you couldn't share nude images. Well, I suppose you could, but you'd have to take the film out the back of the camera and go to the, the boots, the chemist, and it would take 24 hours to get the images back. And you know that the person who gives them to you has looked at them. Um, you know, so, so, so it's so much easier for them to access all of this type of stuff today. Um, and so therefore, it means there's even more of a gulf potentially between my sort of thinking around it and, and theirs and yeah. so I think it's crucial yeah it absolutely and actually feeds quite nicely step into your question doesn't it it does um, particularly the sharing of nudes there so if a parent does become aware that their child has got themselves into a bit of a pickle online what what should they do or what should their steps be I suppose it depends a little bit about what it is that, that their child <laughs> has got into a pickle with I, I would always say that you know speaking to somebody at school is a really important step now that is not to say that as a parent um i can sort of suddenly say oh well this this all happened at the weekend so steph and delith can you perhaps sort it out for me thanks very much give me a ring when you've dealt with it and it's not about that <laughs> i think there needs to be a partnership though because the, the reason i think school's really important is you mentioned there you know sharing nudes for example the statistics around that are really not great you know it's, it's quite a widespread problem and i think I think if 
my child comes and tells me that, you know, they've been sent images or perhaps they've sent some as well, it will feel horrific to me as a parent. But actually, you guys in school know that this happens on a fairly regular basis. You know, children are growing up in a world where, you know, one piece of research said 60% of girls and 34% of boys have been asked to share a nude or nearly nude image be, you know, at some point in time. Um, and that's not a great stat in my view, but it is the reality. So knowing that might help me to give a slightly more balanced and measured response. I think there are also, um, I think it's important that parents report. Um, you know, we're always saying to young people report and you know, when, when they're tiny, we say talk to a trusted adult. But I think by the time they get to, to, to you guys at Wellington, we're also giving them other options like, you know, helplines, like reporting things to an app or to a game. Um, so I think, you know, it's not about doing nothing. It, it's actually taking action to limit other people's access to the harmful content that you've been exposed to no i think yeah. that i think that's really good that's uh, it, yeah because it's not just about the impact for your own child in some of these situations is it it's about the impact of that image going further or whatever the problem is yeah and, and, and i think and, oh sorry, sorry God, you no no on. please no no please i was fine. also going to say it's also about giving the school some information too i think you know we we try to be proactive in our safeguarding response um obviously a lot of our work is also reactive but if we are reacting to things we can then be better in our proactive response because we know what our young people are dealing with and i think i love that word you use there about working in partnership Carl, because I think when parents do work in partnership with the school, we have a much better and clearer idea of what we're dealing with. Mm. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I think, you know, I, I've sort of worked with parents, you know, since I started doing, you know, my online safety stuff, if you like, you know, 16 years ago. And I think parents are often really flawed by it because that they're quite horrified at what their children have been exposed to, you know, the kind of things that they might have seen. Um, and I think it's hard for them to sometimes come forward. But I think what the school can provide is that sort of reassurance that actually that there's an answer to every problem. You know, not I always say to people, it's never too late. You never think that just because an image is out there, that, that there aren't things that can be done. And I think that's one of the positives about tech, because tech can also provide some of the solutions. You, you, you know, yeah. if you think about a platform like mm. Take It Down, which I know you, you are both probably very familiar with, and, and maybe I should just say for parents that, that this is a platform where if a young person has shared an image, they can actually go to this platform and they can hash the image, which means it gives the image a digital fingerprint, which means if somebody tried to reshare it onto a, a lot of different platforms, they wouldn't be able to reshare the image. Um, that, that's a really positive thing. It's, it's only been around for a few months, um, but I think it means that young people can try and take back control you know it's a very different story from a few years ago uh, where people were often being told well that's it the image is out there now you know you'll never get it back the internet never forgets brilliant you know let, let's just kick people when they're down there there are now some things that technology can do to provide solutions or partial solutions perhaps yeah that's very very important to remember isn't it i think you, you, you've hissed there as well around the fact that one area that we saw a real uptick in at Wellington, and I know our colleagues in other independent schools mm. did last year as well, was sexploitation. And um, they're really targeting now independent school pupils because they know that they've got money um, and then they share those images and then they will obviously um, ask for vast sums of money. Um, and I think, you know, that take it down app that you've described there can be incredibly helpful and as you say give those young people the control that they need over that image 
Yeah, absolutely. And I totally echo what you just said about sextortion. I mean, there's been a global spike, to be fair. It's not just the UK, um, but it absolutely has been teenage boys in the main Uh, and on regular platforms. You know, it happens on Instagram and Snapchat, um, platforms that they're very familiar with, not not things that we would see as dodgy necessarily. um, And and the the speed of it. Uh, And I also think that the really aggressive tactics from the criminals who are behind this because it is you know it's organized crime basically um so yeah again we have to talk about that it's not a comfortable thing to talk about but you know the number of young people i've spoken to who said to me i cannot even begin to tell you how embarrassing it was for me to have to go and tell you know normally somebody like yourselves at school but then my parents and then the police that i'd shared this naked image of myself and that is exactly what these criminals are banking on you know that, that yeah. it will be so mm, awkward that are. nobody will feel they can come forward so no, we, yeah. we have to talk about it yeah we do carl we've talked about some really meaty stuff this afternoon haven't we but i think as i was as you've been talking i've been jotting down maybe some takeaways that our parents can move away from this podcast this afternoon with and actually the takeaways are actually very simple um and in in summary i think what we've said is get involved with your children if they are gaming online show an interest um and even join in with those things that they're doing have conversations with them around what they're doing and Uh, being very, very open and supportive so that when something does go wrong, that their children feel able to chat to them about what might have happened. Working in partnership with the school and not being embarrassed if something has happened. Um, And I think Steph and I would both say that we've probably heard everything um, in in our role. And again, we don't judge parents either. Um, You know, our our role in the school is to be totally non-judgmental and to be helpful and supportive so those things in themselves are just very very simple things that parents can do which could actually make a massive difference yeah i totally agree and it, and it is for me i sound like a broken record but i think it's having the discussions having the conversations and just maybe one quick reflection i, I think one of the ways that we can do that um is by using some of the stories that are in the mainstream media um you know there's so much in there at the moment about ai or about some celebrity who's you know got themselves into a tricky situation because of some stuff they said on twitter five years ago x i should say now you know and i, and I think that that's really good because it depersonalizes it it's not me saying to my son or daughter tell me what you've done in terms of x y or z it's saying did you hear about this story what do you think about that have you got a view on it and they do have views on them so i think it's just easy at the moment to try and find things that will stimulate a bit of debate over it yeah brilliant carl as always it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you you're absolutely fascinating in what you say and you just communicate in a way that is so accessible for everybody. So thank you for everything that you're doing to keep young people safe and to help parents as well in this really, really difficult world that we're trying to navigate at the moment. And we really appreciate it. No, thank you for inviting me. It's been really nice to talk to you both. Thank you.